Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth's outpatient EMR and billing software, Redoc, powered by XFIT, provides an all-in-one software solution with guided documentation workflows to make it easy for therapists to use and streamline billing processes to help speed billing and improve reimbursement. You can check out four ways that outpatient physical therapy providers can increase patient engagement in 2020 at go.nethealth.com slash patient engagement 2020. Okay, on to today's episode. I am so happy to be joined by Daniel Shillette, Justin Zich, and Amy Arendale in today's episode. We are continuing the talk that we gave at CSM, which seems like a world away, back in uh, February in Denver, Colorado, and it was titled Turning the Road to Success into a Highway, Strategies to Facilitate Success for Young Professionals. And so we were basically helping uh, young professionals and students give a roadmap to their career. And we had so many questions in our queue afterwards, we couldn't get to them all, so we thought we'd do it here on today's podcast. So in this episode, we discuss how work-life balance evolves in your career, the physical therapy awareness crisis, how to tackle the female leadership disparity in physical therapy, and burnout, and when to pivot in your career, and so, so much more. So I want to thank Justin, Daniel, and Amy for all coming back together and recording this podcast. And if you are at CSM and we didn't get to your question, hopefully we're answering it now. And if you weren't there, then you get a taste of a little bit of what we spoke about. And you can find all of our Twitter handles at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes. So if you have any questions, that's the best way to get to us. And uh, also from a podcast host point of view, if you like what you're hearing, definitely refer to, uh, refer to your friends and family and your colleagues. And we would also love if you leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. So everyone, thanks so much and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have each of you on. and I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a second, but just for the listeners, the four of us were part of a presentation at CSM, the Combined Sections Meeting through the American Physical Therapy Association in Denver a couple of weeks ago, and our talk was creating a roadmap for your physical therapy career, and afterwards, we had a Q&A, and we just had so many questions that we just physically couldn't get to them due to time constraints and and the such at CSM. So we thought we would record um, this podcast for the people who were there and the people who weren't there to answer the rest of the questions that were in our Slido queue, because I think we had quite a bit of questions. So, But before we do that, guys, I'm just going to shoot to you and have all of you give uh, a quick bio, tell us who you are, what you do, what you're up to, and then we'll get to all of those questions. So Justin, I'll have you start. Sure. Uh, so I'm Justin Zitch. Uh, I'm currently with Emory University. Uh, I am teaching uh, in an adjunct role with the uh, DPT program and then also the orthopedic residency. 
uh, I went through and did a orthopedic residency and manual uh, therapy fellowship through Brooks Rehab in Jacksonville and uh, did my PT education with uh, Duke University. Nice. And Daniel, go ahead. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Daniel Shillette. Um, I uh, also graduated alongside Justin uh, from Duke in 2015 um, and uh, also completed an orthopedic residency uh, at The Ohio State University and then stayed on and completed a, a fellowship in orthopedic manual therapy at Ohio State as well. Um, and then uh, worked in an outpatient orthopedic clinic for a couple of years and then was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to join on and work as a physical therapist in the Player Performance Center uh, with the PGA Tour. So I've actually about two, two months into that um, and it's, it's been a pretty cool experience. So that's where we're at right now. Great. And Amy, go ahead. Yeah. Hi, uh, I'm Amy Aradale. I'm a physical therapist and biomechanist with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I also went to Duke, uh, although a few years before uh, Dan and Justin, <clears throat> and then worked in North Carolina for a little while as a sports uh, physical therapist, as well as working with a large youth soccer club before going and doing a PhD at the University of Delaware uh, under Lynn Snyder-Mackler. Uh, so did uh, research on primary and secondary ACL injury prevention. Um, did a postdoc in Sweden with Johanna Kvist and Martin Hagland um, before moving here to, to Brooklyn. Great. All right. Well, thank you all for joining me and, and allowing the listeners to get a little bit of a glimpse into our CSM talk for those who weren't there and for those who were, and maybe we didn't answer their question while we were there, we can answer it right now. So, Daniel, I'm going to throw it to you. I'm going to have you take the lead for the remainder here. So, take it away. Let's do it. All right. So, just a quick little background of the foundation or basis for this talk. Um, it really focuses on um, some lessons and uh, things that we have learned through the four of our uh, unique experiences up until this point about professional growth and professional development and things we've learned the easy way and things we've learned the not so easy way um, and just tidbits of wisdom we've picked up along the way and we thought it'd be valuable to put it together and um, have a talk for CSM and that's kind of what um, what the basis of all this was. So uh, towards the, at the last portion of the talk, we just opened up wide open Q&A um, and we have, we got through a few questions, uh, but we'll, we've got a handful more that we're going to go with. So we're going to start out with, um, let's see, what do you recommend for the future PT that wants to get involved in a specific section of PT, but wants to remain local to their community? I can start with that one. Yeah. Um, I think one of the nice things about being involved in the like sections is a lot of times they actually are um, based where you're at. So <clears throat> they don't necessarily, they may require going to conferences, um, but they sometimes don't even require that. Uh, so it's really easy actually to stay local and still contribute and get involved in, in the sections. Really the big piece there is just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm really interested in getting involved. Um, how can I volunteer? And that might be, you know, helping with uh, membership, that which might be making phone calls or emails or following up with people who have maybe accidentally dropped their section or their APTA membership. Uh, 
it might be <clears throat> um, helping with various other projects, but a lot of times those are actually, um, you know, maybe they're internet based or they're going to be through conference calls. So it's pretty easy to stay local. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um, I'm pretty involved in the private practice section of the APTA and I would echo uh, what Amy said. A lot of, you can get involved in committees. So a lot of the sections have individual committees and most of that work is done online with maybe you have to uh, go to the annual meeting of that section, but that's just once a year. Um, and the good news is if you're doing a lot of things online, you're meeting people when you go to, let's say, the section uh, meetings each year, you'll get to know people in your immediate local area. And it's a great way to start making and nurturing those uh, connections and those relationships. So then you'll have people in your immediate area that you can go to for guidance and, and just to hang out and have fun as well. But I think starting, uh, like Amy said, just have to ask. Yeah, and I think kind of the the beauty of the age that we live in is that um, it's really easy to connect um, via long distance. So uh, technology allows us to do that. And um, I'm a part of uh, a committee through the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists. Um, it's the, the membership committee and everybody's all over the place. We're all across the country and that was just something I got plugged into and I've met a lot of cool people through it and have made some connections within that realm um, via that. So there's a lot of different like online and, and long distance ways that you can get connected without physically being connected, which which is, is helpful if there's a particular area you want to stay in, but you still want to get connected um, to people um, within your community, but also outside of it. All right. Daniel, go ahead. Take it away. All right. We're stepping it up here with this next one. This is a good metaphysical uh, question. Do you compartmentalize your life? How do you approach the interaction between family and professional domains? So, yeah, that is a, that is a really deep question. I'll try to go through and answer to the, to the best of my ability. I think that that intersects a little bit with my section uh, uh, of the talk, which really focused on trying to make sure that you could handle all of the new responsibilities that come with being a new physical therapist, um, getting used to the responsibilities and productivity expectations, but while also at the same time understanding that it's important to have a balance outside of, outside of the clinic and a, and a really good uh, work-life balance. So as far as compartmentalizing it, I don't know if I've specifically sat down and tried to put things into boxes. Um, I do have a little bit of a blend. I mean, even my wife works for a different physical therapy company. So we share a little bit of a shared language with that. But um, it's important that whether it's documentation or other things, when I, when I leave the clinic, I try to leave and make sure that I have a little bit of time for, for me and time to focus on whether that's my own professional development, uh, doing and taking advantage of opportunities like this to, to meet and talk with other people. Um, or just relax and kind of step away from, from the responsibilities that you go through throughout the day. So um, that's, a, that's a great question, but a very, I think you're going to find a bunch of individual answers from it. Yeah, I think it, it really, it, it's an individual question, kind of like Justin mentioned. And I think for, for me, um, what I found is, you know, maybe work 
life work life balance, or particularly going through a residency in a fellowship, um, you know, work life balance a 50 50 split, maybe not completely realistic. It's a work life division. So, where you just have you have things within your life, be it relationships or activities or whatever, where you're able to unplug a little bit from work. Um, and those might be bigger parts of your life at different points in your life. Uh, but it's being able to, you know, uh, nurture and, and engage in all aspects of who you are as a person um, and not just work, 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 um, but kind of be guided by what you're passionate about, what's important in your life. And those will, will take up bigger sections of your life pie um, at different points in your life. Uh, so it's, it's just important to try to have a division, um, but not necessarily, not necessarily um, think that you have to keep that division at a certain level at uh, all times throughout your life because life changes. So my old advisor, uh, Linsnar Mackler, and I've also heard Sharon Dunn use the uh, metaphor of juggling. Uh, and they, they talk about juggling uh, rubber balls and crystal balls. So your crystal balls being the things that are like really, really important, the things that you have to keep in the air uh, because if you drop, they shatter. So those might be like family. They might be uh, important relationships. Um, they might be work. Um, and then you also then also have rubber balls. So rubber balls would be then things that if you drop, uh, they'll bounce back. They're not quite as crucial to keep in the air at all times and that that balance between some of those rubber balls and crystal balls is always going to change um, but that there are some things that you have to keep in the air um, and some things that you can let drop or you might have they might have a different kind of juggling cycle than others um, so yeah I think it changes from time to time you know I've had periods of time where I've basically just worked full-time um, my postdoc was a great example I was basically you know, going to work during the day, um, working on postdoc stuff, and then coming home and trying to finish off um, revisions on my PhD papers. Um, and I was in a long distance relationship at the time. So it kind of just worked that I was literally working, you know, 14, um, sometimes 14, 16 hours a day. Um, that's not sustainable for a long period of time, though. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of sometimes not being good at, at that um, about balance. Um, I would like to think as I get, I've gotten older, I'm better at creating time where I'm not working or, you know, actually taking vacations where I'm putting an email like vacation email reminder on and, and not looking at emails. Um, but it's, it's going to change from time to time and those priorities will change, um, as your life changes. Um, so I don't know if it's necessarily compartmentalizing, but prioritizing what needs to be What's that crystal? What are those crystal balls? And what are those rubber balls? Okay, you guys, they were all three great answers. And I really don't think I have much to add. What I will say is that as you get older, since I'm definitely the oldest one of this bunch, as you get older, it does get easier because you start to realize the things that drive your happiness and the things that don't. And as you get older, you really want to make like one of my crystal balls, which I love, by the way, it's Sharon Dunn is genius, obviously. Um, but for me, one of my crystal balls, I'm going to use that, is happiness. And so within that crystal ball, what really makes me happy? And that's something that I keep up in the air at all times. And at times, 
maybe it is work. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's my relationship. Maybe it's my family or my friends, or it's just me sitting around and binging on Netflix. But what happens when you get older is I think, yeah, I agree. I don't know. And I think we've all echoed this, that I don't think you compartmentalize. You just really start to realize what's the most meaningful things for you um, right now. And it's fluid and changes sometimes day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. All right. And one, one quick thing on that last question, um, kind of a, a hot topic, uh, particularly in the medical, the medical doctor community is burnout um, and, and resiliency. You'll see those terms thrown around a lot. Um, and I think a big thing is to realize that um, those types of things, as far as burnout and kind of getting to a point where you're just sort of worn out with what, um, with the PT professional, what you do on a daily basis, um, everybody's susceptible to it. You know, we can all get caught in this uh, idea that maybe we're indestructible or, you know, oh, I can take on as much as I, as I want to or need to, like I'm a machine X, Y, and Z. Um, at, at a certain point, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to sort of like Karen and Amy alluded to that priority. Prioritization is huge. Um, it definitely gets a little bit easier as you gain more life experience and kind of see what matters and, and maybe what doesn't so much. Um, okay. Another kind of good, solid question here. Um, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. In so companies, businesses usually do something really specific. They offer a specific product or a service or something like that. They focus on one thing. In PT, we do many things. Um, is there an identity crisis within the profession of physical therapy, um, and how do we address it? So I'll kind of get the ball rolling. That, that's a, a a heavy question. I think. Um, to a certain degree, I, I, I don't know if I would say crisis, but I do think at times, like I use, I use the, um, the situation of if somebody asks me what physical therapy is, um, initially I have a little bit of a hard time describing it. I think the, um, the I guess the mission statement of the Vision 2020 is sort of what I fall back to. It's a really good snapshot of, um, how we can describe what we do. It's basically um, helping to optimize and maximize uh, the human experience through movement and, and overall health. And, a, you know, and, but that in itself is a little bit vague and a big picture uh, and, and sort of hard to really put uh, specific meat to. So, yeah, I think, I think to a certain degree, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit hard to say what is physical therapy's identity. Um, what do you guys think? I would say, I don't know if we have an identity crisis, but I think we have an awareness crisis. I think the general public's knowledge and awareness of physical therapy, and then also within the medical profession, the awareness and knowledge of what physical therapy is, I think is a, a massive problem uh, because that knowledge and awareness isn't there. And pro probably part of it then comes from us. I think, <clears throat> you know, Dan, what you're saying, I think that is um, that kind of, if we can't describe ourselves, then no wonder other people can't figure out what we do or how we do it. So I'll give a shout out actually to Tracy Blake, uh, who's a physical therapist and a researcher. 
um, in uh, Canada. Uh, and one of the things that the last time we sat down and had a chat was she kind of gave me this challenge was if someone were to walk up to you and ask you what you do, come up with a way to describe what you do without using any medical terminology. So without using movement, without using sports, without using some of our fallback terminology, like come up with that elevator pitch of this is what I do. So uh, have, if you've got that at the ready, if you understand that, if you can kind of at you know, the drop of a dime, give that, you know, five second spiel about what physical therapy is, then suddenly, you know, that person knows, but we've all got to have that at the ready. And we've all got to be able to do that so that we can put it in a common language that, you know, your next door neighbor can understand that your grandmother can understand. Uh, so when they come to you and say, you know, you know, my hip's been bothering me for six weeks and I've been going to a chiropractor. Um, you've got that language to be able to say, well, what have you thought about physical therapy? Um, when you're talking to a doctor in a hospital or even just in, uh, you know, normal conversation, um, you know, you've got that ability to say, well, Hey, you know, what about PT? Um, yeah, let's, let's not put them on a, on an opioid. Let's get them into physical therapy. So I think it's really aware a big awareness crisis. Okay. So Amy, then my challenge to you is to Tracy's point, how do you answer that question? And then I have an even bigger challenge that I'll say to everyone, but how do you answer that question? So <clears throat> I've, I've written it down. Let's see if I can get it right. The short version of mine is that my goal is to help athletes at all levels uh, develop into their optimal um, athletic um, being as well as develop their optimal performance. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. What if someone says, well, what do you mean by optimal? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I don't get that. What does that yeah. mean exactly? How do you, how do you become the, how do I help you become the best you can be? Excellent. Very nice. Very nice. So now I have a challenge for the three of you and uh, let's see, Daniel will, well, no, we'll start with Justin. Let's put him on the spot for, uh, no. Well, okay. Let's put him on the spot first. Great. All right. So I was at a, uh, a entrepreneurial meetup a couple of years ago and the person who was running this, um, gosh, I can't remember his name now. Isn't that terrible? But he said, I want everyone to stand up. And in five words, so you have five fingers, right? Most of us. So in five words, explain to me what you do. So talk about stripping it down to its barest essentials, simplifying to the point of maybe absurdity. It's hard to say what you do in five words, but Daniel, I'll start with you. So someone comes up to you and you say, I'm a physical therapist, five words. This is what I do. Help people live life freely. Okay. That's not bad. Not bad. Justin. I'm not going to use a sentence, but facilitate, educate. Yeah. Facilitate, educate, empower. Does that count that I repeated on my like, six now? Restore. 
empathize. Throw empathize nice. in there. Okay. All right. Amy, five words. I like Justin's, but I'm going to go with, uh, I think I'm at six, actually. That's fine. (laughs) Go ahead. Uh, Help people move better without pain. Nice. Yeah. When I I did this um, for uh, this little meetup, I said, I help people move better. That's what I said. Those were the five words. I help people move better. Um, but I, I do like where I think maybe if we put our heads together and we mashed up all four of ours, I think we'd come up with, uh, a really, really nice identity statement that is maybe 10 words. So maybe we can put our heads together after this and come up with a nice identity statement made up of 10 words. And if we were at CSM, we would have the audience do this. This would have been one of their action items. So what I'd be curious is for the people listening to this, you know, put an action item, put what are your five words? What would you do to describe what physical therapy is? And then if, you, if you're on Twitter, just tag one of us. You can find all of our Twitter handles um, at the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Uh, in the show notes here. So tag one of us and let us know what your five words are because I'd be really curious to know that. Excellent. All right, Daniel, where are we at? What's next? So so actually I want to, I still want to go back to the last question because I think there's a, no, 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 that's, that's completely okay. I think there's a really good point in there. So Amy hit it really well with the awareness issue versus the identity crisis within our profession. Um, I, I think one of the things that sets us apart is how dynamic we're able to be um, and the skill set that we're given in, you know, when we have our DPT education and when we graduate, you know, granted, you know, we're using the term as a generalist where you can go and specialize further. But I think that that's a, that's a, a rare but very, uh, very powerful trait of our profession is that we're able to help across a spectrum of a lot of patients. The, the challenge that I would say if that question was worded a little differently is if we focus specifically just on one section. So is there an identity crisis within the orthopedic section? If somebody comes in and they have hip pain, are they going to be treated differently by all four of us? And then therefore, does that make it really tough for us to come up with this five words, 10 words statement? Because we're, we're very heterogeneous in how we, how we address patients still kind of within specific subsets. So I think that's probably the, the, the bigger crisis, if you will. We still have a, you know, even within specific sections, a, a 10 lane highway instead of, you know, two or three based off of specific patient needs. And do you think that publication of CPGs helps that? It for people who, and this is going off on a totally other question, I realize that, but following up with that, do you think CPGs, published CPGs help with that and staying, I guess, up and current on the literature can help with that? Do you feel like that is something that might close that gap of huge variability? Yeah, I think the way that they're designed, you know, that's exactly what they're trying to do is they're trying to take all of this, this, uh, you know, research literature review that, that we should all be doing and, and put it in a really nice, you know, consensus statement for us and then give us, you know, specific things to look deeper into the CPG. So I think that it's there. It's just, again, how do you, is everybody finding that? And if they are finding it, are they applying it properly? 
you know, towards their practice. So I, I like that the information's coming out there. I'm, I'm at this point, I'm not completely confident that it's reaching throughout, you know, the spectrum of everybody that it, that it should be, but hopefully, you know, it continues, especially with, as we have new people graduating, we really start to develop that as to, as more of the norm. And then it's a lot easier to, to not necessarily standardize, but get everyone in, in a couple of lanes instead of 10 lanes. So Justin, just to play devil's advocate, um, what about the good things that come with having 10 lanes versus two? I think there's, there's some people that I, I completely am on board with what you're saying, but I think there are plenty of folks that would say, well, that's, that's the beauty of, of physical therapy is that it can, you know, there's so there's, you can really make it, um, make it individualized and, and, and what it is to you and you can treat, um, obviously there's principles that you abide by, but there's, there's, you can be different um, than the PT next to you and, and different, different to the PT next to them. Um, it can still offer high value. What, what would you say to somebody who, who would say that? I, I think that your statement you just said is, is completely fine. Um, but, but the, the issue that comes about that is, is that therapist who wants to provide the individual approach, are they, have they, you know, exposed themselves to enough different approaches or different ways that they would look at it, that they can be truly individual to the patient instead of saying, okay, I'm going to focus on, I am a, you know, not to, to throw anyone or anything under the bus here, but I am specifically a Maitland therapist. I am specifically a McKenzie therapist. And then that approach fits that patient all of a sudden, as opposed to being able to expose yourself enough to be able to flow in and out again, based off of what you said, which is, I completely agree with that individual approach. So making sure that you have that dynamic flexibility to, to cater your skills. Sorry, a little bit of a tangent there, but can't help myself. I'll, I'll piggyback and uh, <clears throat> put, a, put a shout out to people who want to get involved. Um, but one of the things that um, the orthopedic, uh, the Academy of, um, I'm going to go back to their old names, the orthopedic section and the sports section um, in the newer clinical practice guidelines, um, one of the things that I think JOSBT has done a great job of uh, is kind of forming committees around each guideline uh, on implementation. So um, once we, when we did the um, knee and ACL injury prevention clinical practice guideline, we actually had a whole separate committee um, that we pulled together that was in charge of um, how do we help disseminate this information um, and help clinicians implement it. So that was putting together a really short synopsis for clinicians, a patient a pamphlet, or just like one pager that can be like just printed off and given to uh, clinicians. It was uh, two videos. So videos of actually injury prevention um, <clears throat> programs, one for field-based athletes and one for court-based athletes. Um, but getting those out, just like you talked about, Justin, you know, that that's sometimes where that, or that is where that gap between research and clinical practice comes. Um, and that implementation is so important, but it means that, you know, there are, there's a chance to get involved, um, for people who are interested in helping those guidelines really kind of truly get disseminated in the way that they need to be. 
Great. And I think that's also really good for the treating clinician because oftentimes as a treating clinician, we feel like we're so far removed from the researchers and even from the journals that you think, well, what, what is my contribution going to do? Like, how, how can I get involved? I'm the J word, just a clinician. And so knowing that these committees exist and that as a treating clinician, you can kind of be part of that if you reach out to get involved, I think is really important because oftentimes I think uh, clinicians sometimes feel like a little left out sort of and left behind as part of the, the club, you know? So I think, Amy, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. And do we want to, um, does anyone else have any more comments on this specific question or should we move on to the next one? We're good? Okay. Take it away. Next question. And on that note, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. This episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth's outpatient EMR and billing software Redoc, powered by XFIT, provides an all-in-one software solution with guided documentation workflows to make it easy for therapists to use and streamline billing processes to help speed billing and improve reimbursement. You can check out NetHealth's new tip sheet to learn four ways that outpatient therapy providers can increase patient engagement in 2020 at go.nethealth.com slash patient engagement 2020. All right. Um, So Amy and Karen, this uh, question is geared towards you guys. Um, So the question reads, while PT is is a female dominated field, there is still a disparity in female leadership. Do you have advice for female student physical therapists who may desire those leadership roles? I, I would say, number one, look to the APTA, look to your state organization, look to your even where you're working, and try to find a female physical therapist, or even look to social media, right? Look to the, the wider world that you feel you can model. So I think modeling, especially for women, for uh, people uh, LGBTQ, for uh, people minorities, is so important. So you want to look for those models. Look for the people who are like, hey, this person is kind of like me, so I really feel like I can follow and model this person. I would say look to that first and then follow that person, see what they're doing, try and emulate some of, not so much of what they're doing in PT, but how they're conducting themselves as a professional. And then, like I said during our talk, reach out, you know, try and find that positive uh, mentor, try and find that the mentorship that, uh, that you are seeking and that you need and that you feel can bring you uh, to the next level, not only as a therapist, but you know, as a person and as a leader within the physical therapy world. And I, I think it's very difficult. Um, I'm, I'll do a shameless plug for myself here really quick. Um, we created the Women in PT Summit specifically to help women within the profession uh, network, meet some amazing female and male leaders within the profession and have difficult discussions that need to be had to advance females within the profession. 
And I will also say to not block out our male counterparts because they need to be part of the broader conversation because without that, how can we really expect to move forward if we don't have all the stakeholders at the table? So I would say speak up, speak out, look at people who are at the top of their game and in, in uh, high-level positions. Sharon Dunn, uh, Claire Ardern, the editor of JOSPT, uh, uh, Emma Stokes, the head of WCPT. All of these people, if you reach out to them or you hit them up on social media, they will most likely get back to you. It may not be really fast, but they will probably do that. Um, so I would say look to the broader physical therapy community, look to the world of physical therapy, um, right down to your individual clinics, because I think that you'll find there are a lot of people to model. Um, yeah. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think <clears throat> modeling and mentorship are huge. Um, finding people that you connect with. Um, and who can give you honest upfront feedback, um, but also support. Um, so I feel like I'm pretty lucky in both having um, really strong women who I consider as mentors, but also um, men, because I think that I think that is important. Um, when I was part of the student assembly, Amy Klein was our kind of oversaw the student assembly and she became someone who I really look up to and admire and, and will go to for, I know she'll give me it straight. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, good or bad, I know she'll give it to me straight and that I need that. Um, but then also Joe Black is somebody who's also been a, a longtime mentor of mine. Um, recently I miss Stokes, um, I've connected with. Um, and that was just meeting her at a conference. Um, and we <clears throat> connected at a conference and had an amazing conversation and that's developed further too. So I think mentorship and then getting involved, um, seeking the opportunities, um, and seeking and creating, because sometimes they're not already there. Sometimes you kind of have, you have to create them yourself. Um, some of those opportunities that you want going out and saying, Hey, can I volunteer here? Um, where they may not have had volunteers before. Um, so finding those opportunities that you want and that you think will help you develop um, towards your end, end goal. I was just, I was just gonna say really quick, um, like of, of course you, you two have been you know, great examples of, of how females can excel and, and create their own path. Um, the, the, the thing about mentors is with mentors, it's so important to have a variety of mentors because you're going to pick out different things that, that mentors are going to help you with. One of my most uh, influential mentors uh, was a female. She was, you know, I was involved with her in the fellowship program that I was in and uh, she really helped give me some really <laughs> blunt, but uh, helpful feedback that helped a lot with some of my soft skills. Um, so I'm kind of exposing myself a little bit, but she, she told me that after my lecture, it was on the cervical spine. She's like, yeah, like the content was great. You just weren't likable and just, just kind of threw that right at me. Let me chew on it a little bit. But, um, that actually really changed how I approached a lot of different things and helped me develop those soft skills. So, um, at the same time, she helped me through some managerial struggles that I was having. So, um, that variety is incredibly important. And I've been a mentor to, um, you know, some 
some of my mentees were females and they're doing amazing things right now. And I hope that whatever feedback I gave them, they, they took the right things from and continue to move forward. Um, so it's a, it's a, an issue that goes across, you know, the, the gender lines and as males, I want us to be aware that it's going on as well. And, and, you know, not continue to, to lead into that discrepancy that Karen described, but still provide that same level of mentorship, same level of opportunity and consideration. So um, it's a great question. And hopefully it, it, the, the, the gap narrows as we go forward. All right. So, sorry, I'm in a, uh, I'm in a, a kind of an old double train Orlando and I think the internet's a little, little spotty. So cutting in and out a little bit. Um, okay. Um, oh, here's another good one. Um, any recommendations for a PT that is two years out and feels completely lost and or in the wrong setting? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with that one. Um, you know, of course, understanding that I probably don't have the exact answer here. This would, this really tied into, uh, my portion of the talk, which was the importance of the clinical environment within your first couple of years of development. Um, and then also making sure that you understand that, uh, we clarified the difference between being engaged in your environment, in your system, in even in your organization, um, versus being burnt out and how those two aren't necessarily exactly the same thing. Burnout is something that we describe as more of like a long-term reaction uh, with like physical manifestations where engagement is more of deciding how you want to use your uh, remaining effort in the day, the, the effort that you can discern as I can do this to go home and, and watch Netflix, or I can do this to really give back into my system. Um, so I actually had somebody right after the talk come up to me and just say that she really appreciated just hearing it and understanding that, that there are a lot of people that have that same sense um, where your question's coming from. So I just want to put, it, put that out there first of all. So I would say first reflect on, on what, first off, what you want out of your clinic and see what they are and are not matching. And if you've been in that environment for two years, that's a pretty good trial run to figure out if there's a different environment that maybe you would want to consider that's going to work more on engagement. Maybe that you want to be more involved in uh, clinical instruction and be a CI. Maybe you want to do some project management, um, have some more specific mentorship, um, or it's just the way that they're setting up their productivity. So it's a, it's a question that I'm glad you're steering into right now. Um, but it's going to take a, a little bit of reflection, not only on, on what your expectations are of the clinic and, and how you see yourself as a therapist, um, but going even further, you know, keeping your system, your clinic accountable for are they meeting or at least trying to meet and keep me engaged in those environments. So wish you, wish you luck with that reflection. Nailed it. <laughs> Crushed it, man. I just got, I mean, I've, that was a, a, a sick answer, man. That was right, right on the money. I think the, the one thing um, that I would highlight is uh, what I spoke on for those who were there in the, my portion of the talk is try to strip it back and think, okay, like what, what am I about as far as life goes? Like what, what, what am I passionate about? What am I into? What gives me energy? And then kind of build yourself back up. Okay, what, as far as work goes, what aligns with that? 
And then why do I feel a disconnect with where I'm at? And are there ways that I can change my current situation um, kind of within it? Or do I need to, um, you know, do, do I need to move on or do something different? So I would try to use, use your personal, um, your personal passions and sort of your foundation of who you are as a person um, to help you kind of reset and try to try to figure it out. But, you know, I think that's a great question because we all go through it at some point in time. Um, and, and, you know, the concepts of, of burnout and, you know, re reduced engagement and things, that's, that's, that's all a part of the game. And those are completely, but I think burnout obviously isn't a good thing, but that don't feel bad or guilty if and when, you run into those things because we're, we're all humans and, and they, they can happen. Um, but know that there, there are ways that you can um, move out of that and move past that. And that's one of the cool things about PTs. There's so much to so many different things to do and get involved in. Um, but yeah, great question. I, I, that passion was just like the one word that I felt like we needed in that answer. So I think those, those two are perfect. So we're good. We hit all the questions. Probably good. So I'm going to ask uh, one last question. It's a question that I ask everyone. And uh, Justin, I'll start with you. Not to put you on the spot again, but given what you know now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give yourself as a new grad fresh out of Duke? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. Um, I think the the biggest advice that I would that I would give myself is to not have expectations of quick motion, quick development um, going through. And in my talk, I talked a little bit about we were in Denver for CSM, so I talked about using the uh, French fry approach with skis, where you go down quickly, or the pizza approach, where you go slowly. So making sure that at times I, I was looking at the, you know, what I would tell myself now is, is make sure that you're looking at just that next step and not focusing on the step that's three or four away. Um, so that you're really present in those moments. Cause there's a lot of development things that you can, that you can potentially miss over as you're trying to really quickly make it to that next step. So take a little bit more of that ski pizza approach. Fabulous. Daniel, go ahead. Uh, I think what I would say is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, it's, it's, a uh, it's, uh, as far as, you know, career goes and life goes, it's, it's not just, you know, going 110%, uh, each and every day it's, it's being able to, to look at the long game also with the short game kind of, uh, along the lines of with what Justin said, uh, just keeping in mind that, um, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. You have to you have to keep the big picture in mind. Great. All right. And Amy, I'll end with you. And amazingly, I can say the same thing. <laughs> well, you can't end what? with me because you have to answer it too. Oh no, I always answer this. I answer this question already. But anyway, <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe I will. But it, it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> So what advice would you give to yourself fresh out of Duke? Uh, I think for me, it's, um, uh, it would be to like give yourself permission. <clears throat> uh, and that I think, I think that that extends to a, a number of different things, but, um, you know, one of the big ones is, um, kind of self care, you know, kind of giving yourself permission to take that time off, um, or to, 
um, <clears throat> let something else be a little bit higher priority, um, whether that's um, working out or um, spending time with other with people, um, <clears throat> kind of giving yourself permission to, um, you know, take that step step back and look at things from that thirty thousand foot view, um, so you can really see. Um, you see, see that big picture. So I think that would probably be mine. Excellent. And then I feel like I've answered this question in various iterations over the years, but I really think what I would tell myself, um, right, knowing what I know now and what I, when I first graduated, which was quite a long time ago, would be uh, from a career standpoint to get more involved. Um, whether that be in the APTA or sections or things like that, because I really wasn't involved. And from a personal standpoint is like, I needed to calm down. You know, like the Taylor Swift song, like I needed to calm down. And that's what I would tell myself. Like I was always kind of go, 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 go. And I have to do this and I have to do that. And so I would tell myself like, calm down. You'll, things will happen. Kind of echoing um, Justin and Dan, like I, I really, that's advice I would give to myself is like, calm, calm down. You'll be fine. So that's what I would give to myself. Um, so you guys, thank you so much, all of you, for taking the time out and answering all the rest of these questions. I think it'll be really helpful for uh, people who are there and people who weren't to get a little taste of what we spoke about at CSM. And like I said, everybody's social media handles and info will be on the podcast website at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com in the show notes under this episode. So you guys, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Karen. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was fun. Thanks, Karen. Anytime. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Well, a big thank you to Amy, Daniel, and Justin for continuing our conversation and getting everyone's questions answered from our talk at CSM. And of course, thank you to NetHealth, NetHealth's outpatient EMR and billing software Redoc, powered by XFIT, provides all-in-one software solution for streamlined billing and documentation workflows. You can check out NetHealth's new tip sheet to learn four ways that outpatient therapy providers can increase patient engagement in 2020 at go nethealth.com slash patient engagement 2020. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.